Last, last time we began uh, looking at uh, verses 17 to 21, and we're going to finish verses 17 to 21 this morning. And so I want to read those five verses with you uh, before we begin. Luke writing, of course, and I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's Word. For Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the prodding of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that as we continue in this passage today that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon us. Lord, that he would speak through my lips, that he would speak into the heart of every person that is here hearing these words. Lord, that he would continue his work in forming us and molding us into the image of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our God. Have your way with us today, God. You know our needs. You know where we stand with you. You know everything about us, Lord. You know things that we're not even willing to acknowledge in our own hearts. Do your work. Be praised and glorified in this place, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week as we began this, we, we went through about the middle of verse 19. Looking at these particular words, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility. We focus on this idea of Paul the Apostle living his life for the Lord Jesus Christ and how that served as an example to the Ephesian people, to the Ephesian church. Uh, and, and the importance of that for us as well, if we're going to be sharing the gospel with others, we, we need to be living the gospel as well. If we're going to share God's word with people, we need to live God's word before them. It gives credibility to the things that are spoken. We also touched on Paul's service to the Lord. How that is a call that God gives to every one of us in one area. Of, in, 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 well, in, in the areas of our lives that we're able to serve people. And then, of course, the idea of humility, as he served the Lord with all humility, spending a little bit of time on that because that is such a very, very important thing for us as people, as followers of Jesus Christ. Looking to him first as an example of humility, as we see in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to remind you as well, as I shared with you last week, that this message here in these verses is the only record that Luke gives us in the book of Acts of a message from Paul, actually recording the message itself. Other times he said he would speak to particular people. Other recordings of messages, of, of passages that he spoke in, sermons that he gave, were to either the Jewish people in a synagogue or or, or the multitudes on the streets, or perhaps government leaders, as I mentioned. But this is the only one to, to actually members of the church. And so I think that adds a little bit of importance to it. Luke had written that, that Paul spoke about the manner in which he lived among them, serving the Lord with all humility. And he went on from there saying, with many tears and trials which happened to, to me, by the plotting of the Jews. Many tears and trials which happened to me. 
One of the things that we get from this, of course, is that serving God brings difficulty. Now, why is that? Why does serving God bring difficulty? Well, there's one very simple reason, because we're in warfare, and our enemy does not want us serving God. And he'll use any means, any circumstance, any people around us to deter us from serving God if he can. And so he comes against the Apostle Paul here in the context as he speaks here in verse 19, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. These, these things came to him because the Jews plotted against him. But it brought to him many tears in terms of his service to the people and his love for the churches that God was establishing through his hand, through Paul's hand. But God was establishing the churches. The work of God's spirit, not of Paul, but Paul was willingly used for that, right? In Acts 20, 31, later on in this message, if you just look over to verse 31, you see these words, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, Paul now writing to the Corinthian church, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. This pastor's heart of the Apostle Paul towards the church. And then in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who had come against Paul in his ministry. He's speaking of. Now, last week we talked about Paul's pastoral heart as expressed in his first letter to the Thessalonians. In the second chapter, we, we, we noted how he loved the Thessalonian church even as a nursing mother cherishes her children or as a father loves his own children. The apostle, the apostle John, excuse me, writes in 3 John, verse 4, these words that we're familiar with. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so we see that both the joy and the sorrow or the grieving that would come upon the apostle Paul, uh, uh, depending upon, and the other apostles as well, depending upon the response of the people that they were overseeing, that they loved and cared for, that they gave God's word to, that they preached to, that they lived before, depending on the response that they had to the gospel itself. And like the Apostle John, I too, and I think this is every pastor's heart, uh, we have no greater joy than to see that those that we are ministering to are walking right with God. No greater joy than that. One of the greatest blessings, I've shared this with you before, and, and I'll, I'll share it again, and I don't guess I'll ever stop as long as I'm in this pulpit, but one of the great blessings that, that I receive is to hear a testimony about this church, about the love that's here. You know, because, amen, amen. That, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Je Jesus said that, that we are to love one another. He said, a, a new commandment I give to you, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, love one another. And all will know you are my disciples. You will know, all will know you follow after me, not after some other rabbi, some other teacher. It's me. All will know you're following me if you have love one for another. That just blesses, blesses my socks off. In fact, if you'll notice, I'm not wearing... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an incredible blessing. But at the same time, to hear that one who had been walking in the love of Christ in our fellowship and has walked away, 
for some reason, out, out of some difficulty in life or some circumstance, some difficulty with a person within the church, and not just simply leaving the church, but leaving, not just simply leaving CCU, but leaving the church altogether. It's a heartache. It's a heartache. It truly is. It, it just brings such pain. I mean, this is why we are serving to help everyone in your walk with God, to teach you to love him, to teach you to follow after him, to, to, to be in this together through it. But I want you to notice something that, that Paul writes here. We, we can't not notice it, really. At the end of verse 19, there by the prodding of the Jews. Before we go on, let's not miss that these trials came from the established, organized religion of that time within them. It was the established, organized religion of Judaism. Not necessarily that which God had given to them through Moses, but what they made it to be. We have sung songs about returning to a heart of worship because we can tend to just simply do our religion, even worshiping God, singing songs to him w w without really expressing what's in our heart. Just kind of going through the motions of being, quote unquote, religious. And, and the church has fallen into that many, many times and we can fall into it too and, and I'm certain that there are some here who have. I would exhort you in the name of Christ, return to him. What is it that Jesus said some years after this to the church in Ephesus through the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 2? Let me remind you in verse 4 of that chapter, Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. It's so easy to become, become religious and just do what we're supposed to do as a church. And you see in that, we don't have time to go there in, 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 F, uh, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I would encourage you to reread that, to see what a great church it seemed that Ephesus was. They were doing all the right things, but they had left their first love, but they were doing good things. Our first obligation as a church is to love and honor our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our very first obligation, to love him. And it is through that heart of love for him as the Holy Spirit comes upon us and within us and, and diffuses the love of God within our hearts that we're able to love one another. But let's never forget that. We can get so busy being the church, we just start doing church, and we forget about Jesus. May God help us. That was the situation when we saw in the late 60s and through the 70s and even into the 80s what we call the Jesus Revolution. That's what was going on back there. And the younger people of that time, the hippies, I was a part of that. I wasn't really a hippie. I, I never left home or anything, but I watched them, and I was kind of like a hippie at heart. Next, uh, next Saturday, you'll see some of, some of the pictures of what happened after I left home. When I got married, I let my hair grow and all that kind of stuff. It didn't get real long, but it's interesting. <laughs> the point being is that, that the hippies basically, just a part of what was all about that, that hippie movement was just rising up against the establishment. And the established church was a part of that. Then when God began to move within the church, it poured his, poured his Holy Spirit out, and, 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 and people like Pastor Chuck and his wife Kay Smith, they, they, they began to respond to what the Holy Spirit was doing and welcomed them 
You know, one, one of the, and, and there was controversy within Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa at the time. You know, there was a really, a very famous uh, situation that arose among the church leadership because they had just furnished the, 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 the main sanctuary with new carpeting and everything, and these hippies were coming in off the street barefooted and walking on the street and dirtying up the carpets, and the, and, and the church leadership began to complain. Goes, Pastor Chuck, these kids are just, just uh, 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 dirtying up the carpet. We, it, it needs to be cleaned. It's going to have to be replaced. Their, their feet are dirty. Make them put on shoes or something. We've got to do something about this. And Pastor Chuck told them, if that's a problem, let's remove the carpet. We're going to welcome these young people. They need to hear from Jesus. They need to see him. And I can imagine he had a few other words for them. Something like, he's not going to see them through you with this attitude. Now, straighten up. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Yeah, Romaine would have taken care of that. Pastor Chuck had his way as well. But might we be quick to respond to the Holy Spirit when he speaks our hearts, guys. Amen? That every single day would be like a brand new revival in our hearts so that the Lord would not have to bring another revival for us. But that certainly is something that we pray for. The persecution that Paul endured, he wrote of on several occasions. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 11, we see that he wrote, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul expressing the way that he had been persecuted to the Corinthians, not just simply in Corinth, it did happen there, but in many other places. Let's remember that on his very first missionary journey, when he came to Lystra in chapter 14 of the book of Acts, after healing a lame man, the heathens there in, in Lystra wanted to uh, uh, acknowledge them as God, as, as Greek gods, and they wanted to sacrifice to them. And, and, and Paul had to uh, persuade them not to do that. But there were Jews who came to Lystra from Antioch and Iconium. Paul had been run out of Antioch as they, wanted, as they, as they uh, uh, rallied against him, persuading the other people, the, the Jews there, against him, and, and he got out of town there. He went to Iconium, and the, the Jews there basically uh, persuaded uh, the, the Greeks who were hearing to stone Paul. They were them together going to stone him, but he got away. Then in Lystra, the same thing happened, but they did indeed stone him, you remember. They, they dragged his body out of the city and left him for dead. And Paul, uh, Paul was raised by the Lord Jesus. He wrote also to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, also in chapter 4, um, as we write there at that, that final verse, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested to our mortal flesh. That was very real to him. These things having already taken place. But there was more plotting of the Jews than that against him, we saw uh, back in Acts chapter 9, when he got saved, when, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he got to Damascus, and after being ministered to by Ananias, he began preaching the gospel. 
they ran him out of town for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the 17th chapter in Thessalonica and Berea, uh, the brethren sent Paul away from each of those cities after the Jews stirred up the crowds. Chapter 18 at Corinth, the Jews opposed him and blasphemed, yet the Lord kept him faith and he was there for 18 months teaching the church. Here in his third missionary journey, the riot at Ephesus just before this, uh, in, in the, uh, again in the, in the 19th chapter, um, he was, there was an uprising against him. It was an exception in the sense that it wasn't the Jews that rose up against him, but it was those who were uh, uh, the craftsmen who were making idols and losing businesses because people were turning to Jesus, right? But here in chapter 20, earlier on in the third verse at Corinth, the Jews plotted against him and again he left. And Paul testified to the Corinthians again in his second letter to them in, in God's word. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 28. He writes, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Now, all those are not accounted for in the book of Acts. But he testifies, five times I received 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the, in the deep in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other thing that comes upon me daily, my deep Concern for all the churches. These are all things that brought to him pain and sorrow. Even his concern for all the churches. This was a daily occurrence for him. But all these things, what a list of, of, of the things that happened to him because he turned away from the established religion turning to Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the Jews, what that established religion was supposed to be all about, looking for and then welcoming the Messiah when he would come. He had come. They didn't recognize it and refused to recognize it. As he preached that he had come, the Messiah had come. Well, he was persecuted in all these ways. Incredible. Incredible. But that's the world that we live in. This is a part of the spiritual warfare, isn't it? And he endured it greatly. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. His final letter that we have in the New Testament. The last letter chronologically that he wrote that we're aware of. Chapter 3 verses 10 to 12. He wrote to Timothy as a young pastor. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, that's one of those, again, encouraging passages for us to read. Do you desire to live a life of godliness before Christ Jesus? I don't think all of you heard me ask that question. Let me ask again. Do you desire to live a godly life before Christ Jesus? Amen. Do you expect persecution? Good. We, we need to. We need to. Because God says it's going to come. And I think that as it comes, 
sometimes it, it, it can come in severe ways or fairly minor ways, you know. But as it comes, it can just begin to appear a normal part of life. And it's like, here's a part of following Jesus in a, in a world that hates him. And the established church can be a part of that world, right? Those of us who preach the gospel entirely and then believe every word of it, as those within the so-called church are embracing lies and false truth, same thing, we're not being redundant here, come against us and say that we're haters because we believe what the Bible says about certain sins, right? That's a form of it. And because the culture is widely influenced by those who would call us haters, those who are of, of the, what we might call the liberal bent within the church, and again, I have to just add if indeed they really are a part of the church as they stand. But the outside world doesn't know the difference. But they're coming against us. Let's stand. Let's stand for truth while loving those whom Jesus has loved. You know, let's not have a... a Oh, what's the right word? Just a, 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 a militaristic kind of a, of, a, of a stance, you know. I mean, we, we need to love them. You know, I, I would encourage you to read through the book of Second Corinthians. I've quoted several times from that book already this morning, but read through it and look at the heart of the Apostle Paul. This is toward the church, of course, but a, a heart that would break at those who would come against him, at those who. And, and, and not defiantly standing you know, and puffing his chest out and saying, oh yeah, you know, he doesn't do that. With many tears, weeping, he wrote. We must do the same. But notice here, as he writes to Timothy, uh, again he cites his manner of life as he did to the Thessalonians, as he did here in Acts chapter 20. Note also that he claimed in that passage that out of every single persecution, the Lord had delivered them out of, every one of them. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He called even being stoned to death and dragged out of the city of Lystra and then being raised up by the Lord as deliverance. He didn't escape the persecution, but he was delivered out of it. And finally, in verse 12, that we should expect, if we desire to live godly, to endure, to suffer persecution. We ought not to be, let it surprise us. Peter writes of that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy if you are reproached for the name of Christ. Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Church, let's take heart and understand this truth, that if we are reproached, for Christ, for his name, then we are suffering his uh, sufferings, we're partaking in his sufferings, and that the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon us. Now, God has a particular purpose in mind in allowing and or bringing these sufferings and persecutions to us, doesn't he? Isn't there something he wants to do through this? You know, one, one of the things that I, I, th I think of often, and, and, and it comes from, you know, sitting around and, and, and just talking to people and stuff, and, you know, uh, um, 
somebody perhaps sharing about something that's going on in their lives. And, and, and I, I've shared this with you again. You know, um, you know, those of you who have been with us a while, I, I don't think I share much, many new things with you, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, but just one thing, you know, because often we'll, we'll be going through something and, and, you know, I mean, God's doing something and we're, we're, we're wondering, you know, what is God trying to teach me here? And we'll ask that question, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And while I would not deny the reality that he is trying to teach us, I think we need to take it further than that. I think we need to ask the question, Lord, how are you wanting to change me through this? Because everything that he does is for the purpose of us being his workmanship. And he's doing something to continue to form us. He's changing us through every situation and circumstance that comes, whether it is a joyous one or a painful one, right? He's wanting to change us, to make us, to form us into the image of Jesus. That's what he's wanting to do. And, and so James gets a little bit more specific in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Oh, we love this passage. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Yes. Oh, this hurts. Yes. Oh, I don't like this. Yes. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It would seem that we have to go through these things in order for Jesus to do in us what he wants to in changing us so that he can use us for his purposes. Right? We should rejoice. We should rejoice. As James writes, writes count it all joy. In Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, verse five, uh, uh, chapter 5, excuse me, verses 3 through 5. He writes, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Our tribulation winds up bringing hope. Perseverance, character, then hope as God fills our hearts with his love. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, speaking of Jesus himself, this has always tripped me out, guys. I'm sure you guys as well. Chapter 5 again, verse 8 and 9, though he was a son, speaking of course of Jesus, Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He grew as a human being through the things that he suffered. It's trippy, huh? He was God manifest in the flesh, and yet he learned to obey his father through the sufferings that he encountered, that he had to endure. Now let me ask you a question. Well, let, let me finish reading verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That seems to tell us that he could not go to, to the cross until he had been perfectly and completely refined. I shouldn't say refined, but that his obedience was complete through the things that he suffered. Now, that, 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 that's a hard thing to fathom. It really is. Because we know that he never sinned, not even with a thought. And yet, he learned obedience through his suffering. Now, that brings a question to us. If Jesus learned obedience through suffering, why do I think I can skip the suffering part? If I want to learn to honor God with my life and live a life of obedience to him, right? Right? We would like to skip the suffering part, but uh, apparently we can't. 
God's way. That's his way. I've alluded to Ephesians 2.10 already several times. But again, Paul writing, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Through all this, we become men and women who will be used by God because he has formed us specifically for the life of service he has foreordained for us to live. For each one of us, that's a little bit different. But whatever it is that he has for you in terms of your service to him, the people in whom he wants to use you in your service to him to impact for him, loving them with his love, however that may be. It's a little bit different for all of us. We all have a different uh, um, sphere of influence, some larger than others, but always a group of different people that we have. You can minister to people that other people in this room, including myself, cannot. And God wants to form you in such a way that he equips you to do that perfectly. But we must submit to his work in our lives and the difficulties that we face are a part of that. In verse 20, Paul also talked about keeping back nothing that was helpful. Now he's speaking about his teaching ministry here, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He kept nothing from them. In fact, later on in verse 27, he says this, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He didn't have what Pastor Chuck Smith used to call we, we would hear this at pastor's conferences from him, uh, the danger of having what he called hobby horses uh, that we like to ride. You know, teaching on particular doctrines that we like and doing that often rather than just going through the whole word of God. You know, um, got to be careful about that. Paul didn't do that, nor should any other pastor. And he shares with them that he, that he uh, kept back nothing that was helpful for them. But let's remember, sometimes the things that are helpful are things that aren't necessarily comfortable to hear. A lot of times they are. Sometimes they're not, right? God, help us to remember these things. Um, he was able to teach them the incredible grace and mercy and loving kindness uh, that, that God brings to us, as well as the persecution and suffering that comes with following after Jesus. He kept back nothing from them. And he said to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, these words, for I, bless you, for I consider that the sufferings, that's not what Paul said, I'm saying that, Paul wrote to the Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, now Paul wrote this letter fairly late in his ministry. We already read all the sufferings and persecution that, we, that he went through to the hands of the Jews. And he said, This this suffering that we, that we endure here in this world is not even worthy to be compared. It doesn't even come close to the, the glory which will, reveal, will be revealed to us in the future when we come into the presence of God and we begin to enjoy His presence fully and completely because we're rid of this body of flesh and sin and going before him, oh, how that brings me joy. Not simply because of where, what I have in my future, but what I know that my sweetheart is experiencing right now. 
There's so many of you who have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost a husband or, or a wife. And by losing, I mean losing their presence here in this world. We obviously, we obviously know where they are. They had placed their faith in Christ. We know that they're there. And, and we're in this place where we don't have them with us now. We thank God for the experience that we had with them while they were here. But I'll tell you what. I wish that my wife had never gotten sick. I miss her. But since she did get sick and the sickness affected her the way that it did, I'm so glad she's with the Lord now. I'm not glad that she's gone from me, but in a sense I am because she has to be gone from me to be with Jesus. So I'm going to join her. And the glory that will be revealed in us as in those who have already departed to be with him cannot even be compared to those sufferings and, and persecution that we've endured here in this world. The greatest pain that we can endure, that we think we cannot even handle, that we can't endure any longer. And when we've thought, I can't do this anymore, I can't take this anymore, this is too painful. On the bottom side, the deepest valley can't even be compared in depth to the highest glory that we will experience. So we have a lot of good things to look forward to, don't we? And that's a part of Paul bringing everything to them. I didn't keep anything from you. I hid nothing from you. And he proclaimed as he, as he spoke, as, as he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Teach the word. And that's what he's speaking about here in verses 20 and 21. I didn't keep anything back. I brought the word to you. And he exhorts uh, Timothy to do exactly the same. He taught them publicly. And again, guys, we can't overemphasize the need to bring God's word to bear. We need to know it. We need to know how to apply it. We need to bring it to bear in our own situations, in our own lives, and in our in, in our in helping others around us bring the word of God to bear in their lives as well. That's our only help. It's our only hope. The truth of God's word. As Paul again writes to Timothy, that same letter, a second letter. Uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God, absolutely necessary. And he brought to them there in Ephesus, testifying to both Jews and Greeks, Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God. Paul reached re preached repentance. Yet it is not repentance that saves us. It is the grace of God that saves us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Um, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So our work of, come of, of changing our lives isn't going to save us. But repentance is a key ingredient of salvation. And, and we cannot say that repentance is not necessary. And Paul didn't say that repentance removes sin. Jesus takes it away. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. We can't earn it through our works. We can't repent and say that we're right with God. But repentance shows that we're right with God based on the faith that we have placed in him and the grace that we've received through that faith. 
right? Repentance is key. A Christian cannot maintain his sinful lifestyle and say, I'm saved. Because that lifestyle would indicate that it is not the case. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I've heard it said that repentance isn't necessary, that it's not a part of salvation. Now, only in that repentance can't save us, but repentance is intricately involved in what salvation is. If I've been redeemed from my old self, that means my old self is changing into a new self. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? Change must come. Don't ever let anyone tell you that I'm saved by grace and I don't have to change. Of course you're saved by grace, but you must change to indicate that you have been saved because if you think you're saved without being changed, then your own deceitful and wicked heart is doing its work to make you think something that is not true and you are damned to hell. Even though you think because of the grace, we, we, we just cheapen God's grace that way. Please, let's, let's not Let's not cheapen the grace of God. Oh, the grace of God is wonderful. And yeah, we, we don't change 100%. You know what I mean? We, we don't become Billy Graham the same day we're saved. You know? What you see with me 50 years after I got saved. By the way, today's July 5th, uh, 16th. Um, that time in Lake Tahoe back in 1973, 50 years ago, was in July. I don't remember the date that I gave my heart to the Lord. I think it was like the 9th, 10th, 11th, somewhere in there. This past week, you know, we're, I'm celebrating 50 years with the Lord. But you know what? Um, amen. Thank you for that. I guarantee you what you see today is not what I was then. You know what I mean? That's the same for all of us. And it's a gradual process, but the process must take place, and we must cooperate with that process. Amen? So repentance is key. It's key. It indicates that we want to please our Lord, that we want to be changed. We know we need to be changed. You know, not only do we need salvation by grace, but we need the grace of repentance as well. That's a grace that God gives to us. We must receive that grace and cooperate with it apply these things to our lives. And thankfully, even as God gives us the grace to change through the word of God and the instruction that's there, he's given us his Holy Spirit that enables us, strengthens us to be able to obey, to be able to follow the truth, to, to, to make that change. The transformation of the gospel is very real. It is a part of what is going to be used by God in the lives of people around us. Because we need people around us who knew us before we came to Christ to say, you're different. You're different. The power of the gospel makes us different. And Father, I pray that we will, in that cooperative sense, allow you to change us. Lord, I pray for every person here that is hearing these words, I pray that you would have your way in their heart. I pray, God, that you would speak to each heart. There's some here who need to be saved, some here who, who have uh, 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 allowed the repentance in their life to kind of go by the wayside and not striving for that anymore, Lord. For whatever reason, you know what's going on, Lord, but in you, Lord Jesus, there's no condemnation, but I pray, Father, that at the same time that you would bring conviction, at the same time there are those who need to be saved. So God, touch hearts. Touch hearts in this room. As we sang earlier, we know that you're moving in our midst. You're working in this place. You're touching hearts. Have your way. Even as we are 
before the Lord now, I, I would ask, if the Lord's touching your heart this morning, I don't know if you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time or you need to renew your relationship with the Lord. You need to confess uh, 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 that you've strayed from him and you want to come back. I don't know, but you know, and, and God knows as well. But in whatever way that the Lord is speaking to you, whatever way he's speaking to you today, would you respond? I want to ask if, if that's the case with you, whichever way he's speaking to you, you want to respond to that. I'd like to pray for you. As eyes are closed and heads are bowed, would you raise your hand right now? Whatever it is that God is speaking to you. I'm not asking for those of you who need to get right with God necessarily. Perhaps that's the case. But if you know you can go further with him and you're not, just raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Eyes are closed and heads are bowed. God bless you. A few separate hands. Any more? God bless you. God bless you. Uh, we're going to wait just a minute more. I, I know there's more than this on your screen. You're in a place where you know you ought to respond. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. You may lower your hands. Father, I, I pray for these, your, your saints, who desire to move on further with you. Lord, sometimes in our hearts, we can be moved by our circumstances rather than by you. Or moved by, uh, through those circumstances, really our own hearts moving. Because we're not yet perfected, there can still be some wicked ways that are, are there. Some self-deception that is there. But I pray for these who've raised their hand, Lord, bless them, pour out your spirit upon them and confirm to them your love and your, your grace, the way that you adore them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Remind them that you know your, your plans, your thoughts toward them. The difficulties of life, you don't plan evil for us. You plan peace. Forgive us of future and our hurts. Remind us of that. God, I pray for your grace to be poured out in every heart that is in this room. Whatever it is that's necessary, whatever is needed by us, Lord, pour out your grace. Lord, might we experience in a way in which we know your presence. Might our love for you be increased. Might our devotion to you be seen by others around us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.